1153 of the Pew Bible. Mark 2, our sermon passage will be on verses 18 to 22. But let's read from verse 13 of this chapter. So listen, this is God's word. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came to him and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unstrung cloth on an old garment, or else a new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Amen. May God bless to us the reading of his word. Well, a passage on fasting is maybe not what you want to hear before a congregational lunch. I wonder what your experience of fasting is. It's not something that we talk much about. Maybe we think of fasting as something for Catholics or Lutherans, and so we in the Reformed Church, that's something that we don't do. Or maybe when you think of fasting, you think of the Muslims who fast every year during Ramadan. Or maybe you've done a sponsored fast, when you fast for 24 hours and you raise money for a particular charity. There are lots of reasons behind fasting, even in our passage today. We see the Pharisees are fasting and the disciples of John are fasting, but they aren't fasting for the same reasons. And we will see that they were in error in their reasons for fasting. So what place has fasting got in your life? Is the Christian life to be a life of fasting or is it to be a life of feasting? For we are one of God's children and surely we should celebrate that fact. And so I want you to notice that Christ is your bridegroom. By joining to him, you have been transformed from your old way of life to a life of joy. But until he returns, 
you're to both fast and feast. So firstly, notice, recognize there is opposition to Christ's ministry. So we are currently in a section in Mark's gospel that Mark has devoted to the opposition that Jesus faced. And we see that opposition escalating. The first account of opposition that Jesus faced was when he forgave the sins of the paralytic, that man who was lowered uh, through the roof of the house. And we read that the scribes were present, and in their hearts, they asked themselves, why does this man speak blasphemy? And so their opposition wasn't vocal, but Christ was aware of it. And then last week, we considered Jesus calling Levi, this tax collector, an immoral, thieving thug. Jesus called this man to follow him, and then Jesus joined him and others at a feast. The Pharisees were also present with the scribes, and they are spying on Jesus, and they are appalled by Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors. But notice they don't speak to Jesus. They ask instead Jesus' disciples why he eats with sinners. Well, today in our passage, we read that the Pharisees came to Jesus himself and questioned why his disciples are not fasting when everyone else is fasting. Even John's disciples are fasting. Now, this is a strange alliance between the Pharisees and between John's disciples. These men don't normally get along. Matthew 3, we read of what John the Baptist thought of the Pharisees, and you see these quotes and references in your handout in the bulletin. So Matthew 3, verse 7, John the Baptist speaking, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. John and his disciples did not have respect for the Pharisees and their faith and their heritage and in their legalism. And the Pharisees had no respect for John and his disciples, but they do both fast. So as a result, they come together with this question to Jesus. Why do your disciples not fast? It is an unlikely alliance, but to them to be spiritual is to fast. Fasting is, feasting is a sign that you are not spiritual. And so they opposed Jesus and his disciples, and what they saw was opulence and excess. But we will see that they did not understand why Jesus and his disciples are, are feasting. The church today faces opposition, and the opposition can take a similar form to what Jesus faced. We are told how we are to behave. It's easy to be intimidated by the world and simply follow the world's commands. Now, the world is not commanding us to fast today, um, but sometimes we hear the world commanding different things. Uh, like, for example, they say that you are to love. You must love, and you must accept all kinds of love because you're a Christian. Or another one that's common today is you must be kind. This slogan is particularly common at the moment. Now, in one sense, it is a good slogan. We are to be kind. We are to teach our children to be kind. And yet our kindness is not defined by the world. 
Our reasoning for being kind is not because the world tells us so. No, we are to be, be kind because God instructs us and he teaches us true kindness. Some of the things that the world is doing out of kindness is not kind at all. Instead, it is evil. No, you're not to take your cues from this world and how to be spiritual. The world is opposed to us. Well, secondly, consider beware of empty ritual. It does not make you spiritual. So the Pharisees fasted, and yet there is only one commandment in the Old Testament to fast, and it's to fast on the Day of Atonement. Now, we do read of many other voluntary fasts in the Old Testament, especially after the exile. It became a common practice. So when repenting of sin, um, we see fasting. For example, Nehemiah fasted while he repented of his sin. Another reason for fasting is in seeking God's protection. And we can think of Esther or Daniel, who both fast while praying for God's protection. But there is only one command to fast. There's only one day in the year. The Pharisees commanded that you are to fast twice a week, on a Monday and on a Thursday. And that's clearly demonstrated in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and we read of this in Luke 18. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. That is way beyond what God commanded. But it's not even that they fasted. It is how they fasted. Matthew 6, verse 16, Jesus speaking, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So not only did they fast, but they made a show of it. They disfigured their faces by whitening their faces, and they put ashes on their head they sought to look sad. It was a show for the people to see how they were so holy. And this is how you show uh, you are spiritual, by fasting. Spiritual people, are seem, spiritual people are those who are unhappy and uncomfortable. That's what the Pharisees believed. But the disciples of John, they were fasting too. But they fasted for a different reason. They are waiting for the Messiah to come. They have not recognized Jesus to be the Messiah. Even John the Baptist doubts and asks, are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? So Jesus is telling them, you are not to fast, for I am here. The bridegroom that you have been waiting for has arrived. It is time to feast. And what's interesting is that the Pharisees, they were not satisfied with John the Baptist and his fasting. We read of this in Luke 7, verse 33. John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So the Pharisees had an understanding of what it means to be spiritual. 
It did not include John and his disciples. But their spirituality was all a show. Their hearts were not engaged. And we will consider later why fasting is useful. But simply to fast for no reason except that's what religious people do is not right. Hughes says the Pharisees' attitude derived from, among other things, the false assumption that true religion was a solemn, joyless affair, an assumption that some people hold even today. My fasting today is not so much a mark of spirituality compared uh, to that time, but it could be something else. Many people trust in their church attendance. They think to be spiritual, to be right with God, is because you attend church. But if you could see inside their hearts while they are in church, you will see that it is only empty ritual. Their hearts are not engaged. What other empty rituals are people trusting in? What are you tempted to put your trust in rather than in Christ? Well, thirdly, notice Christ is a bridegroom who brings you joy, verse 19. So last week we considered Jesus describing himself as the physician. Today Jesus introduces himself as the bridegroom. Why Jesus doesn't pick these titles from thin air. No, bridegroom is a messianic title. We're going to sing Psalm 45 after the sermon, and that's a clear picture of Christ, the groom, coming for his people. And we see this title, bridegroom, or his husband, being used in Isaiah. Isaiah 54, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth, for the Lord has called you, like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused. And then later in Isaiah 62, verse 4, you shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Jesus is saying that he is this bridegroom who is to come, and he has come. He is the fulfillment of these prophecies. And can the friends of the bridegroom fast while they have the bridegroom with them? Imagine you're invited to a wedding. You've been to a ceremony, and you all sit down at the banqueting table. And the father of the bride, the host of the wedding, makes a speech. And he has this great idea. Instead of a feast, let's have a fast. No food, no drink. Instead, they would celebrate the marriage of his daughter by fasting. Well, it would be unthinkable. You don't celebrate by fasting. You celebrate with feasting. Eating and drinking is a means of showing your involvement at the wedding. Well, even more so for Jewish weddings, which at that time would last for a week. There was no such thing as a honeymoon. Instead, the couple would get married, 
and then there would be a week-long celebration. It was like an open house, and the bride and groom were treated like royalty for the week. But what about the two days of fasting in the week? What happens then? Well, the guests are actually exempt from fasting by a Jewish ruling which said, all in attendance to the bridegroom are relieved of all religious observances, which would lessen their joy. They were not to fast during the wedding feast. Well, that explains why Jesus uses this metaphor. He is the bridegroom. The friends of the bridegroom are not to fast. They are to celebrate. But you are not simply guests at this wedding. You are the bride of Christ if you are Christians. You are part of this feast. You have more joy than even the wedding guests. Your groom has come. The one that you have been waiting for, he has arrived. The one who will love you like no other has taken you to be with him. He delights in you. He cherishes you. He protects you. He provides for you. You don't fast in response to this. No, you celebrate. You feast. This brings you joy. And your joy should be evident. Sadly, Christians are often characterized for not having joy. Our joy is diminished. Our devotion has grown cold. No, we need to be reminded of the love of Christ that we now enjoy. That should be evident as we worship God in church This is to be a joyous occasion. Joy should be evident, especially in our singing. And this is something we need to work on, something I need to work on. That the words that we sing would match the expression on our faces. Our bridegroom has come, and so we are to have joy. Well, fourthly, notice Christ the bridegroom brings you new life. Verses 21 and 22. Marriage changes your life completely. Ask any married couple, and it's a completely new way of life than the life they lived before. You leave your parents, your former way of life, and you cleave to your spouse. And Jesus is telling us that is how radical the transformation that he brings. And he uses two other illustrations. You cannot sew an unstrung patch to an old garment Once you've washed washed it, this patch will shrink and it will tear from the garment, creating a worse hole than what there was to begin with. That's what a lot of people do with Jesus. They simply sew him on like a patch to their old ways. They pay him lip service, but he is no more than another prophet, another religious guru in their life. Jesus transforms your life. It will not work to simply sew him on. Hughes writes, the new fabric that Christ brings, it cannot be interwoven with the tired fibers of old religion. It will simply tear apart. And Wilmhurst, the Pharisees failed to see that Jesus' arrival changed everything. They saw him as just another teacher who was a bit out of line. Plenty of people today look at Jesus and that is all they see. He breaks a few taboos, offers us some positive values. Well, add him to the mix. Put him there with Gandhi and Muhammad and perhaps a guru or maybe just some wise words from your friend down at the pub because everyone has useful things to say. As Jesus makes crystal clear, that is not his way. 
His coming changed everything. He is unique. We have some friends here from Sri Lanka. I remember when I was visiting Sri Lanka, being driven around in Colombo in a tuk-tuk, the little three-wheeler taxi cabs. And in the window of that cab, there were a number of pictures. There was a picture of Buddha. There was a picture of a Hindi god. There were words from the Quran. And there was a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus was simply an add-on, add-on to all the other religious ideas of that taxi driver. Now, while we may not do that, we do often put Jesus alongside other things. We put him alongside money, our politics, or our health. He's simply one of many things that we trust in. That will not work. He alone is to be trusted. Only he is a bridegroom who gives you new life. The next illustration is even more vivid. So we go from repairing vintage clothes to home brewing. You cannot put new wine into old wineskins. Wineskins are elastic to allow wine to ferment and to expand. However, an old wineskin has reached its maximum elasticity. So when you put new wine in and it ferments, it's got no room to expand, and so it will burst the wineskin. And the wine is lost. It's a dramatic picture, for by simply adding Jesus to your old way, it will lead to destruction. These Pharisees, they wanted to keep their old way of life. They wanted Jesus to teach the people the old way. But Jesus is saying that his gospel is incompatible with the man-made traditions of these Pharisees. What do we bring to our marriage with Jesus Christ? Foolishly, we think we bring much positive to the marriage, that, of course, Jesus wants to marry us. But in reality, we bring our debt. We bring our uncleanness, our sickness, our weakness. We come completely desperate, but in Christ, we are made clean. We are made strong. We are made healthy and righteous. Mark gives us many pictures of transformation that Jesus brings into people's lives. Last week, we considered Levi. He brought a sinfulness. Christ the doctor made him well. The paralytic was forgiven. The leper was made clean. Simon's mother-in-law was weak, and she was made strong. Each of these were raised to new life in Christ. Why would they then say to Jesus, well, thank you for transforming me, but I'm going to fast now so you will accept me? It's the thinking that your hunger makes you somehow compatible with God. No, Jesus has already accepted you despite your fasting, despite your foolish efforts. So this is the message of the kingdom, that when you turn from your old way of life, When you stop trying to impress Jesus, when you repent, you can't use those old wineskins again. No, you have been transformed to living a new life in Christ. Well, finally, let's consider there is a time to fast and a time to feast. This is where it gets difficult because we are to fast and we are to feast. Verse 20, we read, the bridegroom will be taken away from the bride. And you are to imagine, during the wedding, armed men come and abduct the bridegroom. He's taken away. 
Well, Jesus is taken away. This is a reference to his death on the cross, to his rising again, to be with his Father. This is a bridegroom being taken away so you can remain. This is how he would save us from being taken away. He was taken to the cross. He died to pay the penalty for your sin. He rose again. He later ascended to be with God the Father. So Christ has been removed from us in a physical sense. Now he does continue to be with us in a spiritual sense. The Holy Spirit resides in the hearts of believers. But Jesus is not with us physically, and we miss him. His kingdom has not yet been consummated. And so we experience frustrations and difficulties in his life. And we look forward to when he returns and to when his kingdom is made complete. That's why we can join with John and say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But what are we to do in the meantime? Well, Jesus tells us to fast. In the frustrations that we experience, it is right to fast. You don't fast because it happens to be a Monday or a Thursday. You don't fast because others are doing it. You don't fast to gain some bargaining power with God. No, you fast because it is helpful in a number of different ways. Fasting, it reminds us of our emptiness. It makes us long for Christ to return and to fill us up. It reminds us of our weakness and that we find our strength in God. Fasting makes us more earnest and so more focused on God, and it helps us in our prayers. The Ninevites fasted when they were convicted of their sin, and so fasting is helpful in demonstrating our repentance and in saying no to sin. Jesus did not say, if you fast. He says, when you fast. And he began his ministry by fasting. In the early church, there were times of fasting. And so fasting is part of the Christian life, for we are not yet who we are to be. And yet feasting is also part of the Christian life, for in another sense, we are already who we are meant to be. We are God's children. We enjoy the blessings of our redeemed life in the here and now. We know God's security. We can come to God, for he is our heavenly father. And so we feast. We feast every time. We take communion, remembering his work of salvation. And so fasting and feasting, it is a practical manifestation of the already and the not yet of kingdom life. And we tend to be focused on one more than the other. Maybe that's down to our personality. Some of us can be so focused on our weaknesses. And so we're naturally drawn to fasting and the thought of feasting is simply not appealing, might even feel wrong. Others can be so aware of their future with Christ in heaven that they always want to feast. They ignore all the weaknesses and so see no need for fasting. No, now is the time for both. And we know this. When you go through suffering, your desire is not to feast, it is to fast. It is to cry out to God. Or it could be that a close family member or friend turns to Christ. Your desire is not to fast, it is to feast, it's to kill a fatted calf and celebrate this work of God's grace in their life. 
And our church, likewise, should both fast and feast as we celebrate with one another and as we sympathize with one another. Today, God has added to our church three new households. That's a reason to feast and celebrate. So Christ is your bridegroom. He is coming back, and you are to fast as you wait for his return. Christ is your bridegroom. You are to celebrate by feasting, for you know the love of God. So Christ is your bridegroom. By joining to him, you have been transformed from your old way of life to newness in him, a life of joy. But until he returns, you are to fast and you are to feast. The news at the moment is filled with headlines from Ukraine, and it is terrible what's happening in this nation. There is a danger that over time we simply tune out. We get so bombarded by headlines and news stories that we can't take it in anymore and we lose interest. But that's wrong. We should uphold this nation in prayer. I've been reading various stories of believers down the subway to escape the bombardment. While they're there, they're praising God. They're praying to him. Now is a time of fasting as we uphold our brothers and sisters in prayer. Even this week, I encourage you to dedicate time, skip one meal, pray that God would intervene, that he would protect his people, and he would end this evil. I saw a video of one group of Ukrainian believers singing with smiles on their faces as they hid away. And they sang the song, He Will Hold Me Fast by the Gettys in the Ukrainian language. And the song goes like this. When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. Christ the bridegroom is holding fast to his bride, even those facing this Russian onslaught in Ukraine. Let us too hold fast to Christ our bridegroom. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our bridegroom. We thank you for his love for us, even though uh, we are unlovable, we are empty, we are unclean, we are sinners. And so, Lord, forgive us when we attempt to do rituals to appease you. Instead, help us to see your resurrection touch, raising us up to new life. Let us celebrate with joy and feasting at your goodness to us. And yet we are aware that this life is not yet complete. And so help us to fast in earnestness as we seek your return. We pray again for the people of Ukraine that even today, this Lord's Day, they would know blessing from you, increase their faith, and strengthen them in the face of such danger, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn your psalm books to Psalm 45C. Psalm 45C. You'll know this tune. I've realized that we're singing this tune twice in the service. So it's a familiar tune to you. Well, Psalm 45 is known as the wedding psalm. It speaks of a royal wedding being married to the king. Well, Jesus Christ is a bridegroom. We are the bride. 
So let us leave our old life behind and join him in the new life that he gives us and the joy that we find in him. Let's sing this psalm with joy. Let's stand and praise God.